there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to season two of Living the Sky Life. Over the last few weeks, many of us have heard about the story of McCade Myers in Ohio having a piece of paper stapled to the back of his head from a special education classroom aide. Um, I have the pleasure of having as my guest today the lead attorney for the McCade Myers family, Amy Gilman. Although we won't be talking about specifics and details of the case for obvious reasons, uh, Amy does an excellent job in all of her years of being an attorney representing special needs families. She outlines some of the, some of the great tips and uh, just background education that all parents of special needs children should really consider and think about. So let me give you a little bit more background about Amy and her law practice over the last few years. Amy was born um, and raised in the Cleveland, Ohio area and has practiced law for 37 years. In 1998, Amy began practicing special education law, supporting children with special needs and their families. Amy co-founded Special Education Services in 2001, which is a nonprofit agency whose mission was to help families understand their children's special education needs and legal rights, as well as to educate parents and provide technical assistance. After eight years of working for Special Education Services, Amy went back into private practice, continuing to focus on special education law. Amy is actively involved in due process hearings and federal court proceedings on a variety of special education matters. As the parent of a child with autism, Amy knows firsthand the challenges that parents face and is dedicated to helping them navigate the system in order to best serve their child's needs. Amy is the author of The Lighter Side of Special Education, which are articles which have appeared online for a number of years. I hope you're able to take away some great pearls from this episode as I did. Um, Just a little editing note, um, Amy told me before we even started recording that she has an elderly pug dog who uh, snores quite a bit, and you'll hear the snoring throughout the episode. There was really no way for me to edit that out, um, and I put a picture of the pug on the uh, show notes. So enjoy my conversation with Amy. So uh, with me today is a very special guest, Amy Gilman. Amy is an attorney with the law offices of Agins and Gilman in Ohio. She is also the lead counsel for the McCade Myers case that many people have, I think, recently read about and been um, privy to um, where a child um, was injured at school, allegedly, um, and had a paper stapled to the back of his head. So um, Amy, welcome to the podcast and we can talk about all things um, parent rights, child rights and legal matters. So (laughs) welcome. Well, oh, thanks. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, um, you are lead counsel on the case that's getting a lot of publicity right now, at least in social media with a lot of uh, special needs parents. And I know you can't talk directly about the case and specifics around the case, um, but there's quite a public 
you know, outrage as there should be um, when any child is injured, special needs or not. Um, and there's so much support going around for the family. Um, I was wondering if you could provide, you know, just some some background for families with special needs children um, that are maybe fearful now of dropping their kids off at school and not knowing what to expect. Just anything at all that you can advise um, parents to be thinking about? So, I mean, I, I understand parents' concerns about bringing their children to school, but I do want to say right up front that most special education teachers and staff who work with children with special needs are, are special people themselves. Yes. And um, they care about kids, they care um, to help kids learn, sometimes under very difficult circumstances. And so I don't want parents to get the idea that there's that this is rampant in school districts. Um, I sometimes think that you know we don't appreciate children, teachers enough who work with our kids. And, and so I just wanna kind of get that out there so sure. that there's not this sense that it's kind of open season on, on kids with disabilities. <laughs> yes. Um, having said that, there are circumstances there, these kinds of situations occur. Um, our firm has been involved in a number of them uh, involving children with disabilities who have been the victims of, um, mistreatment uh, by individuals that they trusted. And so what I would say to parents is that, um, you know, you always have to be vigilant, no matter how much you trust your school district and your teacher, uh, your children are vul more vulnerable than children without disabilities. And, and so it's, it's critical for you always to be vigilant. Unfortunately, there's really not a time where you can kind of let your guard down. And, and I guess what I would say is that if you, there are certain things that you can kind of look for. I think if you're concerned about your child, changes in behavior is a red flag. If your child has behavioral changes either at home or at school, sometimes that's a red flag. That can also be a red flag for abuse that's occurring at home. And so those kinds of things. If your child doesn't wanna to go to school suddenly, comes home with unexplained bruises, um, is afraid. Uh, yeah, I had one kid who every, he would scream every time his mother drove by the building. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain things that you need to look for. Self-injurious behavior is another one. Um, sometimes kids who are being mistreated will engage in self-injurious behavior. And that can, that, that doesn't, that can occur in children with significant degrees of impairment, as well as with kids who are high functioning. And so again, those are sort of red flags that, that people can look for and, and try to figure out what's happening that is causing these kinds of changes. But you always need to be vigilant and you also need to realize that if your child isn't safe at school then he's not going to receive a free appropriate public education no matter how good the services are mm -hmm. and that goes for bullying too i mean my law firm also handles bullying cases children with disabilities are disproportionately subject to bullying by peers as well and you need to be vigilant about that you need to make sure if you have a child who's verbal that they are communicating with you because bullying is frequently 
and kids are afraid sometimes to talk about it for fear that it'll make the situation worse. And so, um, and bullying implicates a child's right to receive faith. And so if your child is the victim of bullying at school, you need to bring that to the attention of your IEP team and sit down and say, okay, what are you gonna do to keep my kids safe? And, and so, because again, bullying on the basis of disability is a civil rights violation, but you don't have to show that in order to show that there was a denial of faith with respect to your kid. And, but I mean, we see that in kids across the board, including kids with learning disabilities who are called stupid and retard and things like that because they, because they're learning disabled. Right. You know, one of the things I mentioned in, in an article that I wrote, um, a bunch of us wrote about this particular case, but um, just in general, it, it's so challenging because, you know, while we're speaking to other special needs parents and, and doing those things, especially if your child is nonverbal, doing body checks when they get home and checking for, you know, increased aggressive behavior or self-injury, the things that you mentioned, the other big call to action I feel like is, you know, neurotypical parents and families, if they could just educate their children at a young age and keep educating them that they shouldn't, you know, bully, make fun of, you know, anything. And they should protect these kids at school, you know, when they're seeing them getting bullied, maybe if the child isn't able to speak up on their own behalf, that another peer speaks for them and reports any misconduct. That would be ideal, you know, for our kids to help protect them as well. You know, I have to tell you that most kids, this has been my experience. Most kids who go to school and bully, I mean, I hate to say this, but but if their parents, a lot of times if the parents know about it, they they don't care. Well, they get it from their parents. Probably. That's right. That's <laughs> they learn exactly it. <laughs> right. So. And so but what we have found is that while parents may not care whether Johnny goes to school and bullies little Sally, those parents care if they have to go out and hire a lawyer. And so one of the things that I do with with my kids who are being bullied at school is I give them a pile of my business cards. And when somebody says something to them, they pull out one of my business cards and say, <laughs> here, to, you know, and that's it. They don't have to respond. They don't have to say anything. And even young kids, I mean, they all watch Law and Order or whatever until <laughs> they know what a lawyer is. Right. Okay. And so, and if somebody comes to you and says, you know, why is your child handing out this lady's business cards? You can say that's because somebody's bullying him. And mm -hmm. if you don't like it, then go and tell your lawyer to call my lawyer. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And so, I mean, I do that. It's very effective because when they have to start spending money, it, it, it changes the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I know that, um, you've been, you know, practicing law for 37 years and I'm very um, young looking though. Yeah. Thank God <laughs> you started when color. you were 12 <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, it, um, I read that you, you know, began really practicing special education law and supporting special needs, children and families and focusing on that in 98. So, you know, in the, all the years that you've been doing this and at this, have you seen a rise in cases like this? I mean, again, I know they're 
they're more still the minority. The, the teachers and the aides and the therapists in general are amazing people and tolerate a lot of stuff um, to care and support our kids. But there are the bad apples out there that we run into. I just wondered if it's on the in increase and, and on the rise that this is happening. I, you know, I, I can't say that it is. Okay. I, 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 well, I don't good. think that's, I, yeah, I don't see that um, as being the case. And I think there's been a lot of attention um, brought to bear, particularly around the issues of restraint and seclusion, uh, which of course disproportionately impacts children with disabilities. And, and so when that was sort of brought to the fore, um, I, I think there was a lot more awareness uh, around, around those issues. I will say that one of the things we have seen that has become a huge problem that we have seen an increase of, and that's the involvement of children with disabilities with uh, the police and school resource officers in particular. That is a serious pet peeve of mine in, to the point where I have now, if for the past few years, made appearances in juvenile court along with um, the child's public defender or, or criminal defense lawyer to explain to the court uh, that the child's behavior or whatever that brought them there was the school's fault and not the child's fault and why the case ought to be really is an educational issue and not a criminal issue. Uh, but we have seen it's a huge problem, enormous problem. And my hope was that after the George Floyd thing sort of raised awareness around police involvement with African-Americans in particular, that that would also bring attention to the disproportionate involvement of children with disabilities with school resource officers who are generally have no training whatsoever in dealing with individuals who are disabled, whether they have mental health issues or autism um, and, and they report, they file charges. And it, 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 again, I, I have, several of those every year, it really is, it's atrocious. So what is the, the common um, scenario? Is it um, the resource officers or the um, security for the school being brought in by the request of a teacher or an aide because they can't manage a behavior of a child in a class? Or what is the most common reason that these officers are brought into the mix? So, I mean, one reason for children with disabilities to be involved with the juvenile justice system is truancy. You'll have a kid who's got anxi severe anxiety, can't go to school, and instead of creating an IEP for the child to address their anxiety issues so that they can continue to learn, they report them to the juvenile court. That's, that's one. That's a civil rights violation in addition to a denial of faith. So let's be clear. The school resource officers are just exactly what you just said. The child has a behavior. Usually the child has a behavior plan of which the school resource officer has no awareness whatsoever. Instead of following the plan, they call the school resource officer who files charges against the child. And, and then the child has to make an appearance in juvenile court. And I mean, I can't even begin to tell you the ridiculous cases that I have had and, and I have to tell you, most of the judges don't want to see these cases. Mm -hmm. they, they don't. I just had one that just got thrown out. And it was so obvious that the judge didn't want to see this kid in his court. And the prosecutor's office was just dug their heels in and they weren't going to get rid of it. And, 
and so it was for a 10 year old. I mean, it, it was un unbelievable. But I mean, I've had cases where I've had to go in with the family of a child who's completely nonverbal. Okay, I have one kid who had Smith McGinnis syndrome. The poor kid had no teeth, giant hump on his back, darling kid. Okay, and um, nonverbal. I mean, and the judge sitting there looked at the looked at the prosecutor and like, are you kidding me? I know you're kidding me. You are not going to prosecute this child with a significant cognitive deficit. It was just horrible. And what were they going to prosecute him for? Did he swing at the officer or something? No, he used <laughs> the teacher in her rear end. Oh I mean, my this gosh. This kid has a significant cognitive deficit. And again, he's got so many medical issues, literally no teeth. All his teeth fell out. And he doesn't, and of course, this particular kid only understood Mandarin Chinese and asked me whether or not the school district ever had an interpreter for him so that he could understand what was being said. And the answer, of course, is no. His parents didn't speak a word of English. Oh it was, I mean, and of course, when the police come to your house and you're rural Chinese, I mean, you believe that death is around the corner yeah. because that's the way it works. And so, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, we are trying. We have had um, trainings in the Cuyahoga County Juvenile Court, in the Summit County Juvenile Court, and the Franklin County Juvenile Court. And we are working on trying to get training to other other people in other courts to make them understand how to distinguish between an educational issue and a criminal issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see in the media, and sadly, that's the only way a lot of us hear of some of these things is because the media gets a hold of it. And it does, you know, exacerbate that this is a, a nationwide, like every single day occurrence. And I know that it's not, but even the, the um, young adults that we see um, that have been, you know, arrested and you know pinned to the ground and some of them have passed away from officers brutality because they're asking them questions and they're you know disabled and they can't understand the questions or they're answering incorrectly you know and admitting to things that they didn't do because they don't understand it's just it's so scary to have an 18 year old that's nonverbal myself and i fear every day that he's going to smack someone in the grocery store because he can't control himself or whatever and they're going to prosecute us and like you know take him to jail and all of these things because he can't speak for himself and i'm going to have to defend him and explain that he didn't mean it yeah so. no it's it's frightening it really is and one of the things i mean i'm on the advisory board for the ocali which in ohio is the ohio um center for autism and low incidence and they are one of their sort of policy initiatives is to work with first responders to train them and understand how to how to deal with individuals who are disabled when they are have involvement with the police. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not and I mean, we understand that children and people with disabilities, it's not that they can't commit crimes. It's just that you know, there needs to be some recognition about, uh, you know, how their behaviors are affected by their disability. Mm -hmm. And, and, and certainly in a school setting where the school has a responsibility, we should not have these kids involved with this with the police. It's really yeah. atrocious, horrible. So we know that 
for the most part. I the apologize training. for the snoring, but that's not <laughs> No, me. it's okay. Just, <laughs> I should have said that in the beginning that you have an elderly pug who is um, <laughs> just snoring yes. along during our discussion, which is <laughs> totally fine. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, we know that the training is lacking for, um, you know, the resource officers and things like that. I wondered if you guys cover a lot in some of your cases, the training and for the hiring of aides um, in classrooms you know, obviously teachers that are in special education have degrees and, you know, they, they have training appropriate for kids like ours with disabilities, but what are the volunteers and the aides in the classrooms, what kind of requirements are expected of them to, to be hired for those jobs? Because that's what we're seeing most often in these cases in the media are the aides are the ones that are committing some of these horrific abuse and misconduct, you know, events with these kids you know i i there isn't a lot of training um in fact one of the one of the things that i frequently argue with districts about is they'll always throw out the fact that the that they've had cpi training i'm sure you've heard that expression mm -hmm. and so cpi training which is crisis prevention training um is was is there's no like scientific basis it was created by somebody who i believe was a former prison guard and and so but that's not a that's not a behavior intervention it's a crisis intervention when a child is going to hurt himself or others but it certainly is not a proactive mechanism for addressing individuals who have behavioral issues mm -hmm. and yes there is very very little training that many staff people have in how to interact with a child who has a behavior issue. Um, yeah. And so, and that, you know, that is definitely an enormous, enormous problem. And that's a problem with teachers as well. I mean, one of the things that we see very frequently is kids who lash out at teachers and staff because the teachers don't understand that the curriculum is inappropriate for the student. So if you're a student with a disability and the teacher keeps trying to teach you something that you have no hope of ever understanding. So if you can imagine that somebody is talking to you in a foreign language every single day, day after day, the same exact thing, would you ever get to the point where you would lash out and maybe hit that person? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, and because so, our kids they, can't control their behaviors either. And they don't, you well, know, that's one of their deficits. But that's not particularly abnormal. I mean, if somebody went, it was in your face every single day, trying to, <laughs> saying the same thing to you over and over again. And the same thing holds for, for kids who are high functioning. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the idea that children with disabilities can't be bored is, is a myth, right? I mean, they certainly can be bored no matter mm -hmm. what their functioning level is. And so we do see this sort of lack of understanding. And so we have the content standards that teachers are supposed to go through and teach. And yet um, there's no recognition that if a child engages in inappropriate behavior, nobody looks to see whether or not the curriculum is the reason. Mm -hmm. So very common. Again, training is lacking. Yeah. And I know it's hard to find. I mean, we can't find respite. We can't find, there's it's just such a huge um, void 
of services for families, um, you know, aids in schools, all that, all that stuff. I understand all of that. But when people are hired, and I mean, several of the cases I've, I've read over the last couple of years with aids, um, you know, being recorded or yelling, you know, calling the child names, threatening to pull their hair and punch them, all of these things that are recorded. And then, you know, I read another case, um, it might have been in Florida, where um, the, the aides, two of the aides um, were holding down the arms of a child that had severe sensory um, issues with noise and sound. And so um, he wore noise canceling headphones. And because his behavior was, according to them, bad one day or something, they took his headphones, held his arms down to his sides and blew a whistle in his ear. Um, on both sides and just kept blowing it and they held his arms so he couldn't reach up and hold his hands over his ears to protect his ears from the noise and they did that so many times that all they had to do after that is if he acted out in any way shape or form they would hold up the whistle and he would scare him to death it's just the idea that they might blow it again in his ear I mean I just don't understand the cruelty of, of that's people. abuse that they can yeah, just that's... come to that idea in their mind like well let's torture this kid he can't speak and he's not going to tell his parents who thinks like that it scares me to death you know Lori, i do but i do think that when people are not trained they default to a sort of primitive kind of mindset sometimes again i don't want to you know i don't want to brush everybody with the same you know right I think that most people are trying to help, um, but part of the problem too is a, is the ability to say, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I, need, I need help and, um, and have an administration that's gonna acknowledge that and bring people in. And that is, that's a tough sell because um, most of the time when we go in, the administration doesn't want to acknowledge that they did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and by the way, if you hadn't had this disabled child to begin with, then we wouldn't all be inconvenienced here. Right. Oh, of course. It's usually the child's fault. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. They dehumanize our children, but <laughs> that's okay. It's their fault. And they should just good, be kept at home, locked yeah, up. That's, that's a good word because I have to tell you, even the courts, some of the decisions, including ones that we've had here in the Sixth Circuit, Ohio is in the federal Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, when you read those decisions, it, it's really like the kids are subhuman. And yeah. gosh, we should just be glad that, that they allow us to send our kids to school in the first place. Mm -hmm. And if they're mistreated, then, you know, it's no more than they deserve. I mean, it's really, a pro it's just horrible to read some of these opinions. And um, we're hoping that the right case will come along so that we can take this back up to the Sixth Circuit and explain to them why some of these cases were wrongly decided. Yeah, that opens up a whole nother issue for another day for me, but I, I constantly am preaching about how services ending at 22 or 23 in some states or, or, you know, that age range, that there's nothing left after that for us in a lot of areas of the country. So, I mean, I think, I feel like the justice system has failed us there too, because they just assume that it were no longer the school's problem. And it's up to us to figure out what we're going to do with our young adults at that point. You know, there's, 
it's not our problem anymore. We don't have to, you don't have to send them here. We don't have to take them. So do what you want <laughs> and they can't yeah, get a well, job and they can't. So, you know, that's why we home. have transition plans, Lori. You're, mm -hmm. I mean, they're supposed to have a transition plan, which is again, another, uh, uh, for another day. Yes. <laughs> well, um, you know, you had mentioned to me um, prior to us sitting down to, to talk that you have a son on the spectrum who is 33. Um, can you tell us a little bit about him? So um, my son won't be 33 until next week. He's only oh, okay. next week. <laughs> <laughs> At my age, every day, you know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, my son was diagnosed in 1989. Uh, when the incidence of autism was one in 10,000. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and so he was only 18 months. So that gives you an idea of how impaired he was because in 1989, it just wasn't that commonplace for people to get diagnosed with autism. I didn't mm -hmm. know what autism was in 1989. I, I, I don't think I'd ever heard of it when it was first mentioned to me. Um, and so you know, he had early intervention, you know, the usual take out a second mortgage to pay for the therapy. Yep. <laughs> Especially back no, then, nothing right, was, was covered. There was no insurance. There was yeah. no insurance. And um, there was no ABA. There was no, you know, private placements. There was nothing. And so, I mean, he was in, we were very fortunate to find a speech therapist that basically gave him language. Um, she was a, is a gifted, gifted, gifted person. And we were very lucky. Um, but my son went to speech therapy five days a week for an hour a day for almost nine years. Wow. That's great that he could do that though. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't, most speech therapists won't do that anymore. We were yeah. fortunate to catch this lady when she had just opened her own private practice. And and so I can tell you certainly that more is better. Now he doesn't shut up. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it was a long, hard road. I mean, a very long, hard road. Um, and with many challenges, which I'm sure parents would understand the usual, you know, when somebody would call you from the school, you'd see the number come up and they would call you up and say, uh, um, hi, Mrs. Gilman, how are you today? And I would always say, I don't know what, what you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and so um you know it was um didn't know how it was going to go but uh, ultimately he graduated from high school and went to college nice he away from me <laughs> away from home he graduated with a degree in computer science from the rochester institute of technology That's and incredible. came back um you know, and got a job, you know, moved, didn't, never came back home really. And um, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, he got married. Yay. Was, yeah, really remarkable. And he, thank goodness, he owns a house, gainfully employed, you know, has a 401k and health insurance and a wife. <laughs> He's made it. <laughs> <laughs> he so, made yeah. It. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and, and thank God for hair color because this gray, I came by honestly <laughs> and, uh, and he's a, he's a dolly, but he, it, it was very challenging again, because 
we nobody really knew what to do with somebody like that yeah and least of all you know me and my husband and um so it was you know very challenging i mean he and he had a significant language delay i mean he wasn't speaking in full sentences you know at age five um even after several years of speech therapy so um when did he really come into his own with speaking and you know completing sentences and under so you understood exactly what he needed and wanted and all of that um i mean he could make his, his i mean he could speak make like three word sentences at uh -huh. five and six you know um and so and by the time he was in middle school yeah he was um pretty fluent i mean this is a kid who is a you know sort of a classic kind of profile where his his verbal skills are really remarkable his flow i mean if if you were to receive an email from him you wouldn't know that he had right. a language delay um but his nonverbal skills are much you know he's got incredibly strong nonverbal skills the math i mean my husband and i can't even do math with a calculator you know and he was taking you know i mean the the program he was in required significant amount of advanced math and so yes <laughs> don't so yeah i can imagine um the age of um or the years of his diagnosis and you know all of that i don't remember when the movie rain man came out but i would imagine that a lot of people in around you that knew of your family did they reference that like yes as a yeah. you know because that was really all anybody knew and you know if he wasn't verbally delayed then at that point i don't even think asperger's was a, a label yet for people but um I would, I would imagine that had to be frustrating. I still get frustrated when people hear now that my son's autistic, that don't really know a whole lot about things. And they're like, oh, like Rain Man. I'm like, no, nothing like Rain Man. Actually. No, and listen, it's the know, opposite it's, of that. <laughs> right. I mean, and you know, it's when you know one person with autism, you know, one person with autism. Right. I mean, yeah. they're as different from one another as, as typical people are. Um, and so, I mean, but yes, but people, you know, I think the thing that stuck with me was everybody was always telling us, he was like the never, never land boy. He's never going to talk. He's yep. never going to go to regular school. He's never going to say mommy. He's never going to go to private school. He's never going to graduate from high school. He's never going to go to college. He's not, you know, and Get it married. was mm -hmm. right. That's right. I mean, we didn't even think about that, frankly. I mean, that, kind of a but who I mean, does at age know, three <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know but it's like our son is very um i mean he's just one of those people that whenever somebody would say that he was never going to do something that was the challenge that he needed to um and it was challenging it was very it was very challenging but he he knew that he could go either way and he had the way he wanted to go and he desperately wanted to go to college. And so, um, and, but it was college was challenging, you know, as you might expect. Um, but he- That's, that's he, incredible. Yeah. I'm so happy for him, you know, yeah. to have the life that he wants, that he chose, you know, and the career he wants and all of that. That's that's every parent's dream. Right, Special well, needs I mean, or not. parents <laughs> will understand, you know, that when I walked into the building, everybody ducked in the doorways. <laughs> you know, not because I was a lawyer, but because I, you know, because in those days, especially when he was young, I wasn't doing special education work. I was still doing commercial work. And um, 
but just for the same reason all your parents you know they may have the same reaction because you have to advocate for your child yeah and we're to, we're still told those timelines if they're not doing this by this age he's never going to do it if he's not right. you know speaking now he's never going to talk and i'm like nope that's not that's not how i'm living my life that's not how oh, i'm raising my child that's yeah that's just a load um you you think know things would have gotten better by now but they haven't really <laughs> no same thing it's this you know it's it is the same thing mm -hmm. uh you know it, it, what can i say the, the hope is that the environment will adapt around our kids as our children learn to adapt to their environment mm -hmm. yep inclusivity is a is a thing we're all after <laughs> yes so, very much so well i know that um you know just to kind of wrap up you had mentioned to me before too that uh, you know a prominent focus of the law firm um of your firm is to educate parents and you know just try try to understand what their rights are um with children with disabilities is there anything that i know it's kind of a loaded question but is there anything you can kind of just provide for um, just kind of broad advice, I guess, for, for parents? Um, I guess, you know, what I would say is that, you know, trying to navigate the special education laws that govern your child's special education program is a challenging thing, even for an attorney, um, it, much less a parent. And a lot of times people come to our office for one reason, only to discover that when we look at their child's special education program, they their child is failing. And, and so it, it's important for you, if you're not sure, to either communicate with an advocate or a lawyer. There are lots and lots of good lay advocates out there or a parent who may have be further along in the process and know more about what your child's rights are so that because the saddest cases are the ones that we get where the you know we don't see the child until they're 16 17 or 18 and no matter what we can do to try to remedy the loss of learning for a child like that we can never ever give them back what they would have had if they had been taught appropriately from a younger age that's just not possible mm -hmm. And so um, while the law doesn't require school districts to maximize your child's abilities, that's your job. Is, and so, and for parents of children with autism, the, the best advice I can give them is that more is better when the child is younger and, and speech therapy is an incredibly important key even if your child is receiving ABA services, my personal opinion is no matter how skilled your ABA provider is, it is not a substitute for a skilled speech therapist. Because at, the, at, at its core, we're talking about a communication disorder. That's what, that's what it is. And your child's life um, is very much dependent on your child's ability to communicate in some form or fashion, whether it's through an ACC device or mm -hmm what other whatever way it is and um even to you know for children who can learn how to answer yes and no questions all the way up to you know the child 
you know, needs to whatever, go to Harvard Medical School. I mean, that whole gamut. And, and, and there, that's just, there's no substitute. And, and most of the speech therapy minutes that are allocated, even if the, if the school speech therapist is skilled are not sufficient to address the communication needs of children with autism. That's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if anyone has access to um, a specialist that, you know, their main job is to uh, accompany you at an IEP meeting, take full advantage of that because sadly there are too many parents that walk into those IEP meetings and they're completely railroaded and they just say, okay, and they, you know, they're told, well, we can't do this. And no, we can't really do that. And we can't really have an aid next to your child shadowing them. We can't really, you know, do all of the, they can't, they can't, they can't. And that's not true. A lot of times that's totally not true, but they're hoping that you show up and you're like overwhelmed with the process and you just sign and say, okay, okay, just do what you can help us out. Thanks. And then, you know, and then your child has not a good experience. So I mean, right. there I are tons wanna, of those advocates out there. Right. I do want to say one other thing too, um, because people who, who are listening to this might be saying, well, yeah, but I don't have, you know, three or $400 an hour to spend on a lawyer. And what I will say to you is that the, most of the cases that my law firm takes to, to hearings, uh, we don't, we don't take any money from our clients, particularly if our clients don't have any money. And, um, and, but that doesn't mean we don't take cases for people who can't afford to hire a lawyer. The, the IDEA has what we call a fee shifting provision. And if you go to a due process and you win, the district has to pay your legal fees. And so um, there are many, many law firms in, many, in most of the states that have lawyers that will take a case for you without requiring you to pay a fee. And so, um, I mean, I think it's something that people need to be aware of um, because there's this misconception, I think, that if you don't have thousands of dollars, mm -hmm. then, then lawyers are out of reach for you. And that's, that's just not so. And I would imagine these firms the majority of the firms that do this pro bono kind of work or, or the, the, what you mentioned is, um, you know, they will meet with you and they'll tell you if you have a case or not, they That's wouldn't right. pursue it. If there's, they tell you straight up, like, this isn't, this isn't a winnable case. Well, that's right. And listen, they, I mean, they don't have any reason to tell you that it, that it's winnable because if they're going to get paid on the back end, they need to win. Right. And so, um, yes, I mean, that's a lot of work to put in if you're like really not certain that this is going to go anywhere. Right. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, most people don't have the discretionary income to pay for a full blown hearing. Mm -hmm. It's that's, it's just not in the cards. Yeah. And sure. so, yeah. So, I mean, I would urge people that there's an organization called COPA. I don't know if you're familiar with COPA, the council of parent advocates and attorneys. Um, it's the only national organization um, for parent advocates and, and, and parents. And, um, and so COPAA, and they have a conference every year. Their conference is coming up at the beginning of March. And uh, it's a great, great um, organization. Some of the finest lawyers 
in this area in, in the US, our COPA founded this organization and our COPA members teach at the, um, at the conference. We've presented at the COPA conference. I mean, it's, it's really a great resource. That's great. I will link up that name also on the show notes. And um, I, I just so appreciate your information and I hope, and I know that it was helpful to everyone listening. Um, if anyone has questions, um, what would you suggest? C can they reach out to your law firm and um, you know ask questions or can you give them direction maybe to a, a firm in their state or you know what kind of connections would you suggest that people go from here, I guess. So, I mean, and, and we have a very user-friendly law firm. Um, and so you can always call the office and leave a message. You can email us. We have a website. Our email addresses are on the website. Um, and so, yes, I mean, they can certainly reach out. If we can't help you, we will try to find somebody who can. If you're from another state, again, the first, the, uh, the first thing I would do is look at the COPA has a, uh, if you go on there, they have a referral list of their members. And, um, but yes, I mean, if they have questions, they certainly can call. The only thing I'm just gonna reiterate is that I'm not going, I cannot talk about the McCade Myers situation Absolutely. to anybody. <laughs> We're all gonna be following that very closely though, right. just for the outcome. I'm sure the decision will be released and posted once all of that is said and done and the judge makes a ruling if, if it gets that far or whatever happens. Um, yeah, I mean, again, the, um, you know, unlike a case in court, due process filings are private, they are not public. Mm -hmm. And um, the case would have to go to a full blown hearing in order for the decision to get posted. Most cases, Ohio doesn't have that many full blown due process hearings. Uh, most of the cases settle. I've had cases settle at every, I've had cases settle after the hearing, but before the hearing officer's decision. So, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say. Um, and, you know, so I, I, obviously I can't make any predictions mm -hmm. about, um, whether or not the ultimate outcome of this will, will be revealed. I, I do think, um, that the school districts, uh, having gone on television to discuss the reprimand that was given to this aide mm -hmm. has resulted in unintended consequences. <laughs> yeah, the publicity is pretty fierce right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I oh mean, we, gosh. we all blogged about it and um, we've all, you know, we're all part of the Facebook group and everybody, there's a petition now. Um, I'm sure you know all of these things, but um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy that this poor school, I guess, <laughs> dare I say poor school, they're being made an example of, um, at least in the public eye. So, you know, they better be very careful about the next moves they make <laughs> because oh, well. people are in uproar <laughs> about this. So, right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate your time. I know you're extremely busy and um, I wish you well. So thanks again. Oh, yes, yes. And Gracie says goodbye too, even though she's asleep. <laughs> I need to get a picture of her to put on the, uh, the, oh, okay. the show notes so yeah, everyone send, can see who was snoring. I'll send you one. <laughs> okay. okay, thank you so much. Have All a good right. day. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast 
within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Skylife with others. Thanks again for listening.